Lord God, we thank you for this time that we can gather uh, as a body, as the family. Um, Lord, this is just another beautiful Lord's Day that we can uh, hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from your word today. Uh, use it, Lord, to convict us, uh, to encourage us, Lord, even rebuke us at times. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Uh, we pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we don't have a choice where we grow up. Some of us grew up in a small apartment in Queens with rats, right? That was me. And others grew up in a really nice home with plenty of land. Growing up in a wealthy home, Moses had a choice. Would he continue living in a place that promoted sin or would he reject it? So why don't we go to Hebrews chapter 11. I just want you to see Moses and what he decides to do. Hebrews 11, verse 24. I think it'll set uh, our tone for today's passage. So look at Hebrews 11, verse 24. If you got it, say amen. Amen. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And so here we have Moses. What does he do? He rejects the world's pleasures. Egypt was his best bet for a life filled with money, privilege, an easy life. No worries, no stress. But he rejected that which all sinners crave to have. And as believers, we have to live in this constant battle, being in the world, but we know we're not of the world. And so we have this godly purpose to do good works for God. In order for us to live this God-honoring lifestyle, we will have to make sacrifices in life. We will have to say no to the things our flesh really wants. If we want to be Christians that please the Lord, we must reject the world and receive the word. That doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from unbelievers. It means we let our light shine and make a difference in this world of darkness. We ought to make a difference living for Christ. So in our passage this morning, I want you to feel the tension of denying yourself and accepting God's way of living. So let me briefly recap what we learned last week. Uh, We learned to stop the deception and start the devotion. To stop the deception, we were reminded to read the Bible and be under the faithful preaching of God's word as much as possible. We also looked to that link of church attendance, right? The likelihood of being deceived or not is based on how much you go to church and be under the faithful preaching of God's word. And the more we hear about the truth of God, the stronger we're going to be when the enemy comes and tries to deceive us. We also learn how James gave us strong truths about God, right? We learned about his grace, his power, his immutability. And this should encourage us to trust God We know that he doesn't sin, and he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. We can be devoted to the God who never changes. And so today, we're going to look at some key points in the book of James. You can go to James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 19 to 21. And what are we going to do here? We're going to consider commands we are to follow. We're going to see that fact we need to know. Then we're going to talk about sins we ought to flee from. And then we're going to see this attitude we must have. 
the action we take daily, and lastly, we're going to focus in on that appreciation we ought to show God. So let's begin by reading our text. James chapter 1, verse 19. Here we go. It reads, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. All right, we'll stop there. We'll get to the next part in a bit. So what do we want to see in this section? We want to see a couple things. First, the imperatives, right? James, again, he's going to say, do this, do this, do this. 54 times. Here we got about four more imperatives. He's going to tell us these things because he doesn't want his audience to be deceived. And then we're going to discuss that important truth, um, what it means about this anger of man, right? And I'm going to have a discussion slide, so I really want us to interact there and talk about this topic of anger, which I'm sure some of us here uh, maybe felt even this morning. Now, I want you to be ready to share your thoughts, and then we're going to see four steps into receiving the word, right? The first one is here in this verse. Um, And that's really going to be our focus for today, how to receive the word, all right? If we don't receive the word, we will not endure. All right, let's begin in verse 19. Again, it says here, this you know, my beloved brethren. So we have here James with this first command. Now, if you have the NASB in front of you, uh, it translated, it's translated as an indicative. It says, this you know. It's not an imperative. But there's good support to suggest that it is a command. So it could be translated, be certain or take note of this. Know this. And the question is, what is it that we ought to know? What are we to be certain about? And some would argue that James had in mind the immediate context, right? The verses before that God is good, that he doesn't change, that he gave us new life. And he is the one that brought us forth by the word of truth and made us to be a first fruits of his creatures, right? So those were the verses right before it. Um, And the ones right after it are, you know, to be slow to anger, uh, to be slow to speak. These are the things we ought to know. So what do we see here? We see that um, James, I would argue, if you look at verse 16... He starts with this phrase, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And then in verse 19, I think he's ending it there. This you know, my beloved brethren. This main thought of, okay, this is the truth of God that you need to know. And so the first command, I would argue, is that you need to know the word of God. All right? It seems that James is beginning and concluding his thought with that same phrase, beloved brethren. You need to know this about God, that he is gracious. And so regardless, believers are reminded they need to know the truth of God. And like we said last week, what do we need? We need the word of God. And if we aren't reading daily, then we're more likely to be deceived. Now the next command here uh, is to, what do we see there in verse 19? But everyone must be quick to hear. All right, so this command has to do with listening to God's word. Why do you guys think it's important to be quick to hear? Let me hear from you. Why should we be quick to hear? So we don't make assumptions and judge right away. Very good. So that we can understand. So we deeply understand the meaning. 
You got two ears and one mouth. Yeah, okay. There's some wisdom there. Anyone else? Why do you think it's important to be quick to hear? Doesn't say slow to hear, it says quick to hear. Well, given our context, we can imply we are to be quick to hear what? The word of truth. We were saved by the gospel and we are reminded of the gospel. To be quick to hear is not just about good listening skills. It's about an attitude towards God's word, right? You're humbly going to the word of God to confront yourself about your sins. You are ready to obey what it says, right? In the Hebrew, Shema, it's you know, not just about hearing. It's about obeying. And so I believe James, being a Jew, has that in mind here. And so being quick to hear implies you're quick to obey. Being quick to listen, it requires us to be eager attentive, I think someone mentioned that, and ready to receive and assimilate the message we heard. It's the person who listens intently to the word of truth, who progresses in godliness. In other words, if you are quick to hear the word of truth, you will spiritually grow. Now, the next command here is to be slow to speak. Why do you guys think it's important to be slow to speak? Yeah. Mm, very good point. Very good point. Anyone else? Yeah. Good. All right. I like that. Some wisdom there. If you're speaking, you're not really listening. Uh huh. Okay. There you go. There you go. Because if, so, if you're slow to speak. Um, then you're actually listening to the other person because if you're not, then you're just interrupting and you're just saying stuff and not even really listening. Very good, very good. Good stuff here, guys. Um, Being slow to speak is not about the slowness of speech, but it's a call for restraint upon hasty and foolish reactions to what is heard. Rather than having this immature reaction, we are to be wise. Another observation from this phrase, slow to speak, is that What is James doing? He's reminding us of how important the topic of speech is. So I want you to see this. Look at verse 13. He begins here, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, right? So there we see that he doesn't want uh, these believers to say foolish things, right? Incorrect things about God. If you continue in verse 19, here it's more generic, right? He's telling us how we ought to speak. He says, be slow to speak, right? And then... Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that that as such will incur a stricter judgment. And here's the key. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or mature man able to bridle the whole body as well. So we see this throughout the book of James, this topic of speech. And one more. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. It says... There is only, uh, do not speak against one another, brethren. And then he continues, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks against the law and judges the law. All right, so what is he talking about there, speaking against one another? He's talking about being prideful, arrogant, right? Acting like a judge who never sins. And so how can we stop from falling into this temptation? You won't be abusive in your speech if you are slow to speak because you're going to wisely express yourself in a loving manner. 
We know many people, they behave as the proverb is reversed. They're, they're quick to speak and slow to hear. And so we know that we, those who want to teach God's word need to learn it and, and obey it before they try to teach it. All right, the last command is to be slow to anger. Why do you think it's, this is so important to obey, to be slow to anger? Or should we just be quick to anger? Okay. There's some wisdom there too. You're going to regret it if you say something you shouldn't have said. Anyone else? Why should we be slow to anger? Yeah. Anger brings damage. We'll see some proverbs there. Uh huh. Think about the context, right? Here are people going through persecution. Right, And so the people may be tempted to be angry in the midst of persecution. They're probably thinking, maybe, maybe we should be like the zealots, right? The zealots were people known for violence and zeal to do things their own way. And so James, he's writing uh, to the people in persecution. And, and so these people might be like, why don't we fight back? You know, why don't we yell and scream you know, and get upset and get angry? They really didn't like their situation. But who would? And God has them there for a reason, and he, he's calling them to be slow to anger. Now, James, he's going to give us a main reason why we ought to be slow to anger. But in principle, we understand why we're called to do this. First, we know that who is slow to anger? God is slow to anger, right? And so the reason, that reason alone should suffice. If we want to be more like Christ, we ought to be slow to anger like he is. Another reason is that being slow to anger is in line with Scripture, We see it throughout the word that we're called to be gracious, patient, compassionate with others. Solomon, this is what he says. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Right? It's foolish to be quick to anger. Now, before we move on to that main reason, we're going to see in verse 20 why we ought to be slow to anger. I want you to just notice the process of a believer that's growing spiritually. Right? So first, what do they do? They know God's word, right? That's the first command. Know this. They know God's word, specifically that God, the God that never changes, saved them by his grace. Then they are eager to listen, right? They're quick to hear God's word. And then they're patient, right? Slow to speak in that process of learning. And rather than being super zealous and trying to achieve God's righteousness through anger, they take a step back and they remember the gospel. So if we remember all these four commands and we follow them, our Christian life will see some lasting fruit. All right, so look at verse 20 now in James chapter 1. Let's consider the fact to know. All right, this is very important for us to know. This is the main reason we are to be slow to anger. Let's read it. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So when you think about God's righteousness, some of us are thinking about Paul and how, he uses, and how he uses this word in the book of Romans. But I want you to think less about Paul. Remember, James wrote this before Paul. And, and what is he thinking about when he's thinking about righteousness, right? Remember the Jewish context. When you see the word righteousness, think of God's righteous standard, right? So the human outburst of anger does not produce the type of righteousness which reflects God's standard. So when you think of God's righteousness, think about that which God requires of his people. And so you could also translate it this way. Human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. 
I like how the NIV has it. Human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. So in keeping in step with how James is often correcting the foolishness of his audience, here we observe that people thought that anger could produce or achieve the righteousness of God. Right? They were thinking, man, I just I gotta be angry. God's gonna see my my zeal and and, and so they are not correct in their thinking because God is not pleased when we try to achieve anything in sinful anger. He calls us to be people that display love for one another. And so this brings us up to a very big question. Is it ever right to be angry? So let's discuss this. So this is the discussion slide. We'll interact here for like a minute. What do you guys think? Is it okay if I get angry? Okay, explain that. What do you mean righteous? Well, I, don't, I don't know what righteous anger is. Very good. Yeah, Jesus is cleansing the temple and he's upset. Why is he upset? What's happening? It was a house of prayer. And they're using it as a business place. Imagine we started doing that right now. During when Pastor Nathan's preaching, we just get up there and we start, hey, let's sell some stuff. Not good. What were you going to say, Victor? Same thing. Same thing? Okay. So there is such thing as righteous anger. Anyone else? Why? Is there any? Let's say, um, I don't know, uh, I'm hungry and the food's not ready. Should I get angry? Or you had something else? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So if, so that's a good one. So let's say maybe instead of loving, disciplining another child, you see a parent that's doing it in this rude, just upset, angry way. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Is it okay to be angry at sin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Bob? Yes. Good. So God is slow to anger. If if God if it was wrong to get angry at any time, that means God's a sinner. So of course we know that it's okay to be slow to anger. God is slow to anger, right? Jonah four two. Um, and there is a such thing as a controlled righteous anger. But let's be honest, guys. Do we usually have that controlled righteous anger? We're usually dealing with the other one, the sinful anger, right? Like I said, when food's not ready or little things. Uh, in the car, right? When they cut you off, uh, someone took my parking spot the other day, and I, you can ask Veronica, I wasn't happy about it. But was I right to get angry about it? No. You know, because nothing is mine. Everything belongs to God. And, you know, that was probably a good test of patience for me there. So let's continue here. Uh, go to Colossians 3.8. I want you to see this, how God thinks about sinful anger. So, yes, there is a controlled righteous anger, but our focus in today's text is a sinful type of anger. If you got it, say amen. All right, Colossians 3.8. I heard one amen, so we'll continue. But now you also put them all aside, right? What are we to put aside? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And he even says here in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. All right? And so, 
I want us to see here the first step in receiving the word. So we're going back to James chapter 1, verse 21. And this is very similar to what we just read in Colossians, right? Putting aside. And so look at James says in verse 21. Our first step here is to flee from sins. Verse 21 in James 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. All right, so this is the first step. It involves preparation of the heart. We need to prepare our hearts to receive the word. As we prepare to receive the word, what do we do first? Set aside impurity. Right? We reject the world and its sinful ways. We know that before the word can be welcomed, the hindering sins must be dealt with. And so James tells us to do this uh, because we know the anger of man does not produce righteousness of God. And so we are to put away or lay aside all filthiness. Maybe you have some dirty clothes. You just throw that into uh, you know, the, to the laundry basket, whatever you have there. You put it aside. It's filthy. The aorist tense, it, it's calling for a definite break with these things, right? He's saying, put this aside forever. It's not just the sins that involve anger. What does the text say? Uh, what does the text say? Look here in verse 21. It says, all that remains of wickedness, right? So this key word for us is the word all. It's not just some sins. It's every sin. Some of us, we might be tempted. Well, Kevin, you know, I'm, I'm good in a lot of areas, just not this one area. No, we're called to flee all sin. Yes, all sin, even those little white lies or maybe those prideful smirks, right? We are to lay aside, get rid of that abundance of wickedness. I like that word. It says all that remains. It's just a mountain, an abundance of wickedness. All that sin we used to commit, we say bye-bye to it all. And we resist that temptation that James spoke about in verses 14 15. And we say no to the flesh. So we need to remember that we are a new creature in Christ. We're not enslaved to sin. And by the Spirit of God, we can say no to these sins. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect and never sin. What I'm advocating for is a wise optimism in our battle with sin. We can be in the business of stripping off sins, right? It's a 24-7 business. So James, he's calling us to have this definite change um, from, to all his readers. He's saying, you got to be different, right? And we need to change our wicked ways. He warned believers that putting off sin involves this fight. Just think about it. You, you beat up one sin, and then another sin comes out of it. So think of your Christian life like a garden, and these weeds just keep coming, right? Has anyone doing gardening lately? Anyone seen those weeds? Terrible. They just keep coming up, right? What do you do? You got to keep being persistent. You got to wake up every morning. All right, some more weeds came out. Got to go and attack it. That's what sin is. It's attacking us persistently. You knock one down, and one quickly rises up. So before we go on to applications, any questions or comments about anything we spoke about? Sure.
No, that's good. So, I think Paul... Yeah. No, it, you bring up the mind. I think what really will help, and I wasn't planning to use this verse, but I, I was thinking about it. Look at Romans 12.1. Why don't we go there, guys? Romans 12.1. You guys might know it. It's a very famous verse. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right? We want to worship God with our bodies, like you were saying, with our minds. And look what it says. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so there is this constant renewing of the mind that we have to do because we're weak. We're easily going to fall into temptation if we're not renewing our mind. How do we renew our mind? We have to be in the word of God. We have to be in prayer. Like I said last week, church attendance is very important. Um, this is a battle, guys. You know, there's going to be days where it's going to be harder than other days. Um, obviously, you're going to sin and you're going to want to confess your sins. Uh, go to God and say, Lord, please help me. Um, but yeah, God knows that struggle. He knows in the sense that um, you're a sinner. He knows you're weak. That's why you got to keep going to him and, and ask him for his grace and, and strength. Uh, but yeah, you, we need to renew our minds daily. Yeah. All right. So yep. No worries. Okay. Yeah. Is that something that's I think all believers need a prayer life, you know, whether that's in a closet or in a place somewhere, you know, I know some people on their way to work, on the train, they're praying, meditating, in the car ride, they're praying. I mean, everyone's schedule's different, but yeah, everyone should have a prayer life. Mhm. I mean, Jesus went up on the mountain, and he prayed by himself somewhere, you know, without any distractions. So, yeah, that's, that's highly recommended. I know a couple of believers, they turn off their phones. First thing they do in the wake up in the morning, close the door, and they're just there praying, praying to God. And I've seen a lot of spiritual fruit in their lives. And so I definitely, I, I'm motivated to do that more. Very good. All right, we got to get back to the text. So some applications here that I have. Um, number one. Do you clean up the dirt in your life or do you let it build up? Let's be honest. We can all get in this bad place in our walk with Christ and we can start to drift away from the truth and act like sin is not a big deal. Maybe we even start to abuse grace. We need to repent and say no to the world. If you don't reject the sins in your life, remember what James said earlier, right? What does sin lead to? It produces death. And so there's nothing good about remaining in a state of unrepentant sin. The second thing is, are you rejecting the world's way of life, right? The world makes everything like sin look cool. Um, but is there something different about you? Do you walk the walk and talk the talk like unbelievers? If you are not actively rejecting the world, you're going to be conformed to it. Your mind and actions are going to start to reflect the world. And so this is not the way of the believer. We know in 1 John 2, verse 16, it says, for all that is in the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away with all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Uh, forever. And so, guys, we need to reject the world and its fleeting pleasures. 
So we completed the first step, right, in receiving the word, right? That's the main focus about today. How do we receive the word? The first step, we need to flee sin, a.k.a. repentance. Now we're going to see the next three steps in this little uh, last part of the verse 21. We didn't read it yet, so let's look at it. Look at James chapter 1, verse 21. The last part here says, In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So a Christian who's receiving the word has this right attitude, they act wisely, and they appreciate what God has done for him. Now, we just learned the first step, which was repentance. The second step is very similar. It's humbling yourself, right? So we have to have this attitude of humility. What is humility? It is the temper spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good without disputing. We must humble ourselves before God and say, okay, Lord, you're the Lord of all, right? You recognize that. It's not me. I'm not the one in control. You're the one in control. Here I am. And, and we thank God for his humility. How does he show his humility? Right? He died for us. He humbled himself to death. And for us, a lot of us struggle to even say thank you or I'm sorry. Forgive me once in a while. The opposite of humility we know is pride. Proud people, they accept the world. Humble people, they own up to their sins. They confess them and keep going. They know God came to save the sick, not the righteous. So humility is that attitude we must have. That's the second step in receiving the word. Humility, we know this can also be translated as meekness. And so I'm thinking maybe James is referring again to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what is that word meek about? It's about being submissive to God's word. And so we reject the world, we repent from those sins, and now we're going to be submissive to what God is going to tell us in his word. Now, before we go into our next step, I have one more discussion topic for us today. And, and that is um, the importance of humility, right? And how do we see that today in our Christian walk? So when you got saved, I don't know about you, but did all that pride just go away? It didn't for me. Um, why don't we discuss this some more? What were some changes that happened to you when you got saved? I, I have a picture of a butterfly here, right? So, you know caterpillar and now it's beautiful butterfly but still the same body in a sense so what were some things that changed when you got saved guys so godly sorrow good Mm. So a desire. Anyone else? A big change. Okay. Being more nurtured to follow the Christ footsteps. Yes, yes. You went... Mm. Yes, you definitely wanted that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's something that the Lord's still working in my heart, to love people more. Sure, Lindsay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, just the level of conviction. Before it was just, ah, oh, I don't want to get caught. My mom's gonna look at me as someone crazy. Now it's like whew, things in when no one knows about, but you know it's something that you did against God. Some of the things that I used to do that I feel like I did badly, I'm not 
Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people. No, that's good. A lot of people, they stop drinking, they stop cussing. Did you have something, Daniel? Or I thought you had something. Anyone? Yep. Yeah, the sins of omission and commission. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, um, I was driving with someone and we saw someone that was like, looked like he was dead on the street. And, you know, their first response is, stop, stop, we got to call the police. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we stopped and someone else called the police. But, you know, I could have just kept driving and just said, whatever, who cares? This person just died on the street. Or, like you said, I could have chose to do the good thing is stop and you know, make sure that he was uh, taken care of. Um, a lot of this desire for worldly interests, you know, celebrity worship, that is, oh. things that the world values, mm. doesn't value Yeah. Stop watching the Oscars, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we stop really exalting people, right. you know? Like, it's you're just a person. Yeah, you have a lot of money. Okay, cool. But, like, where's your relationship with God? You know, that's what really matters. We know the riches are fleeting. Very good. So as a new creature in an old body, we can sometimes feel defeated. We want to see more change. That's good. We need to remember that no one's going to be perfect in this old body. That's why we're going to get a new glorified body when Christ returns. However, what is our mission right now? We have to strive to put off the old self. Believers, we know that they are changing because they're being conformed to the image of Christ. However, there's this battle of the wills. The old nature, it lures us to follow its desires and so walk the path of sin and death. While at the same time, we're being summoned to live out our true nature. We are a new creature in Christ, but many times we act like the old creature. And we know there's some things that need to be changed. So I don't know what that is for you. Uh, you know, For me, uh, someone mentioned it. I need more love for others, right? Many times we can be prideful. Think about those things that need to change and start remembering you can change because of the Spirit of God in you. All right, back to our text here. Um, There's an action we have to take, right? We know the attitude is in humility. What is the action? This is the third and main step in receiving the word. If you look back in verse 21, it says, in humility or in gentleness, receive the word, right? So this is an imperative. James is saying, You have to receive or accept the implanted word. All believers who have prepared their hearts by rejecting the world and humbling themselves before God's word are ready to receive his word. Right? We did those first two steps and now we're really ready to receive. We're ready to welcome the word. So a good question that some may ask, right? Uh, How can you accept the word that's implanted in you already? Well, just because it's in you doesn't mean we're putting it to work, right? We have this ability to think before we say something, but many times we react and just say what's on our minds. So in this case, we do have the implanted word in us. God has given us the word of truth. That seed has been planted in our hearts, but we still have to do an action. We still have to receive it. The point here isn't about our salvation. I know a lot of us are thinking, is this about being saved or not? Remember the audience uh, that James is talking to. They're believers, right? They're in persecution, Um, So the focus is not on their salvation, it's on their sanctification, that we receive the word daily. In other words, the command to accept the word implanted in you is not a command to unbelievers to be converted, but to believers to allow the word to influence them in all parts of their lives. So 
If you look at the verses before, that was more about salvation. This here is more about sanctification, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, right? We're continuing in God's word and we want to cling to that word. Now, the receiving the word, like I mentioned, is all believers need to actively be doing this daily. We observe this word receive in a very important uh, parable. Look at with me, uh, look with me to Mark 4. Alrighty. We're doing good on time. Mark 4:20. The parable of the sower. Here we see the difference in those that receive the word versus those that don't. So look at the last good soil here, uh, seed that's on good soil. Verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And what do they do? All right, so they hear the word, right? A lot of people hear the word. And we're going to get to this next week. Very excited for that. And not just hear the word, what do they do? Accept or receive it, and then they bear fruit. And so this is very important. They do not just hear the word, they accept the word. We also see that all true believers, they receive the word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. There we learn that the word of God performs its work in those who believe. But what is that word that they're receiving, right? It says the word implanted. What is that talking about? It's another way of saying the gospel. It's referring back to the word of truth. As believers, we have to look to that which saved us. We need to be reminded of it daily. And so this leads us to our last step in receiving the word, right? Repentance, humility, we receive the word, and now we have this appreciation to God. The text, if you remember James 1, what does it say? Which is able to save your souls. This, again, is an important point of James. Why? Because he ends this, his letter, right? Chapter 5, verse 20, this is how he ends it. He talks about, and they shall be saved, uh, their souls shall be saved from death. And so uh, what, I, what I see here is James, he's trying to hit this home, right? He's trying to make us understand that those that are deceived in sins, they need to be brought back to the truth. And how does a believer help another person go back to the truth? They point him back to the implanted word. They point him back to the gospel. The gospel, it was used to save us. And yes, we're only saved once, but we need to hear the gospel over and over again. It saves us daily, in a sense, from errors, from drifting away from the truth. And it leads us to show appreciation to God for saving us. And we start to thank him daily for doing that. And so God plants the implanted word within his people he makes this, this permanent, inseparable part of the believer a guiding, commanding presence within. This implanted word, it's our foundation. It's how we are established as true believers. And the God who regenerates the Christian by the word of truth will save him by that same word implanted. So when you think of salvation, guys, yes, we're talking about God saving us, but it's more about the term deliverance. Remember, the audience is to Christians, um, so it's more about getting to the finish line by his word. So yes, we're saved by the word of God, but we still need the word of God to keep us going in this race. It's about the future salvation when Christ returns. It's about enduring to the end. And so we endure by the word. We need the word. We need it daily. Just one last observation about this uh, implanted word. James is again 
picturing birth, right? He's been using this metaphor, this illustration of birth. In verse 15, it was a picture of sin giving birth to death. Here, the implanted word is a picture of the word giving birth to salvation, all right? Now, let me just remind you of the four steps, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, close out here. Number one, we need to repent of all our sins. Number two, we revere God in humility. Number three, we receive that which saves us. And number four, we rejoice in the fact that we will be saved. All right, so let me just give you some applications here, and we'll get to our quiz. Number one, first application from just this last verse that we were talking about in verse 21. Do you humble yourself before God's word daily? We need to be in the routine of going to God in prayer and confessing our sins. We go to his word with questions and the serious focus. We do want to learn. We do want to grow. And so we need to be depending on the God who gave us his word and can teach us his word. And number two, so the first part is about being humble. Second one, are you receiving the word as the guide to your life? So we know the world has so much influence, but we need to remember what our life is built on, the word, not the world. Anything else is sinking sand. We need to receive the word daily and cling to it like it's our only lifeline we have because it is the only lifeline we have in this world of war for wealth. In conclusion, we learn that we are going to receive the word. If we're going to receive the word, we have to reject the world. And we prepare our hearts by fleeing sins that we used to often commit in our old self. We must humble ourselves and be ready for the Lord to convict us and rebuke us as we approach his word. We receive the word by reminding ourselves of the gospel daily. And we know that's how we were saved. And so we go back to that truth over and over again. And we rejoice and we thank God for saving us. That's how we're going to live a holy life pleasing to God. And so we began with Moses. I want to end with Moses. Go to Hebrews 11. We see Moses in rejecting the world. But how does he receive the word? What motivates him to keep going even though he knows he's going to be persecuted? Hebrews 11.26, what is the thing that kept Moses just focused in his relationship with God? Verse 26, it says, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so sinful pleasures don't last. Eternal treasures, on the other hand, are priceless. May we strive to please our Lord by rejecting the world and receiving his word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you're reminding us to say no to sin and say yes to you. Help us, Lord, to have that prayer life um, like we spoke about, to keep battling these sins, Lord, especially in the mind. Help us, Lord, to be renewing our mind. Help us to trust you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name.